Somewhere men are laughing and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has It is Tuesday night, October 17th, which is usually when we try to record this podcast. We were a bit late last week and recorded right at the end of the NLDS when the Phillies beat the Braves, and we could only give an immediate reaction to that Great upset. episode. Yes, the Phillies are up a game on Arizona. It's about to be two. They're playing right now. And the Texas Rangers took the first two in Houston against Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez and are heading home with a major advantage. We have a lot to say about these games, and we intend to do them justice later in the week, but I found it difficult to prepare really anything about MLB today. It would feel disingenuous to talk about Dontrell Willis during the invasion of Iraq, and I think in 15 years I would regret hearing an episode we recorded today in which I don't talk about the fact that a hospital in Gaza full of children, nurses, doctors, the elderly, and civilians praying for safety was bombed by the Israelis about nine hours ago, and the death toll is confirmed to be in the thousands. Before we go any further, I'm going to put a few links in the description for Palestinian aid to help the survivors. If you're able to donate, consider doing so. This feels like a singular issue to me right now because of the way people passively talk about it or don't. The number of Instagram stories that I've seen weighing in on this, like there's an objective truth to it, and an inherent position to take that's both authoritarian and morally just. There are a lot of social justice issues in which everyone on my feed is aligned in support of them. I wouldn't care to know anyone who didn't, but that consistency is not there in the discourse about what's happening right now, and I think it's important to talk about it for that reason. This has always been treated like the most complex and taboo issue in the world, and if that was ever true, it certainly is not anymore. There's a stark contrast between what we're being told and what we see with our own eyes. And if I see another Facebook post that says, I stand with Israel and Ukraine, I'm going to lose it. That is not a real opinion. This requires independent thought that's carefully sourced. And Americans have to contend with the fact that any logical or moral conclusions we may draw from that are in direct opposition with what our government is supporting and enabling. Holding two million people in an occupied territory subject to random Israeli bombing in which they can't leave and inflicting decades of misery on them just because you don't have a better plan is not a sustainable course of action and can only logically end in violence. We want to be clear about the angle that we feel we can take here. We're nowhere near experts on the Middle East. We don't plan to offer any commentary about the politics behind the territory or the historical context of the past 75 years. There are several podcasts out there doing an incredible job of that. Uh, Chapo Trap House's interview with Mohammed Al-Safin was incredibly informative for me, and I will 
link to that below as well. Not that the listeners of this podcast likely need to be referred to Chapo Trap House. What I do feel equipped to comment on, though, is my own experience of witnessing how this issue has been treated in the media and in the public here in various cities of New York State. I also feel like I can talk about the past eight years of American politics and the transition from Obama to Trump to Biden. The fact that we knew what the response was going to be when the attacks happened and tens of thousands of people are taking to the streets all over the world to protest it. The response from the Biden administration is still just, we stand firmly with Israel and condemn any calls for a ceasefire while neighborhoods are destroyed and entire families are wiped off the map and now thousands of people are targeted and killed in a hospital makes me feel as as hopeless as I've ever really felt. And that's becoming a long list. I've gone on for a while here, but um, Brody, how how are you? <laughs> so my my thoughts on this are... So I'm I'm Jewish and I kind of have been irritated by some of the you know the people who use the fact that they are Jewish to just lend support to a group when it, what really if you are a Jew and you see what's going on right now and you are capable of critical thinking you should understand that really you should be I don't, I don't even want to say aligning but just you should know that your duty is to support the group of people who are experiencing a genocide and not the ones who are committing it and that's like such a simple fact <laughs> and i was talking with a friend of mine um the other day who is israeli actually too um he's half israeli he wasn't born there uh he'd been there a lot a lot of family there and he was like this is really it's not complicated the fact that it's been painted as complicated for so long is extremely disingenuous <laughs> like we've had a lot of discourse in this country over the last few years about what you know colonialism is and what colonization means and this is such a clear example of how it destroys you know lives and cultures and i can't say nations because palestine is not now a state but it's uh, i mean it's just very obvious to me and i think a lot of other people who are familiar with the situation that this is just atrocious and it's a tragedy and there needs to be a way to stop this without being able to use anti-semitism as a defense because that is not what this is <laughs> that like being against the israeli regime that is currently just slaughtering civilians is not anti-semitic and there are tons and tons and tons of jews here in the city tons of israelis in israel who are voicing their opposition to this um just to you know go to show that it's not you know not as cut and dry as if you are against Israel, you don't like Jews. That's a ridiculous thought. But yeah, I mean, this is, it also, like, I saw, actually a long time ago, but we live in a part of Brooklyn that has a very large population of Orthodox Jews. And months ago, I saw a very large group of them walking down the side of the street with a bunch of signs that were all, like, Free Palestine, like, you know, the Crown Heights Jews support Palestine and like saying to Israel, basically, this is not who we are. This is not what the Jewish people stand for. And uh, it's just all very sad and, uh, I mean, devastating. In in this country, you're so removed from anything remotely like this, and so it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around. But it just, it feels very distant from here, and it's hard to imagine being able to affect it in any way, other than just voicing your own opposition. And, you know, if anybody takes issue with 
your stance on it, then it's worth just reminding them this is not a thing that started two weeks ago. Um, this is not, a, it's not even a thing that started five years ago. This has been, you know, brewing for about 70 years. Um, and it's, it's pretty one-sided. So it's hard to have uh, a just opinion that is not in support of ending a genocide. I'm not surprised that there was a strong sentiment for revenge among some Israelis, especially from those in positions of governmental or militaristic power. Um, it's quite literally their job to react that way. I was quite young for 9-11, but I remember the anger and the bloodlust in America during the 2000s. I mean, I say that I remember it, but it, it's still there. After 9-11, it was a popular position in households and positions of government alike that the U.S. military should blow entire countries off the map and wipe out entire populations. Our elected officials would get on TV and, you know, John McCain sang a song Bomb Iran. about bombing Iran. The, the, the post that is stuck with me that I've seen, and I hate to say post, that just feels so lame, but it, it is true. When one side has the ability to shut off the enemy's quote-unquote enemy's water and power and you know access to humanitarian aid because it's a basically a prison um that's not a war that is that's an occupation it's an occupation and it's the opening stages or the decades long in in this case slow drip of genocide people love to punish those that they feel have wronged them as Americans we're very familiar with that it's up to the rest of the world to make sure that that rage and that bloodlust does not find a way into the international response to a global crisis this is such an abject failure on so many levels by so many different people and it calls so much into question in terms of what we're being told now what we've been told our entire lives what I can't stop thinking about is how the Middle East has been treated in conversation over the course of our lives. Like a decade ago, Israel and, and Palestine was either the most taboo thing in the world or people treated it like it was a fucking puzzle that could never be solved. Or they were like, ooh, I don't know what's going on over there. If you know nothing about the conflict between Israel and Palestine and thus feel super uncomfortable weighing in on it if you've read about it, let me hear you say no comment. Good call. I have no idea what's going on over there. What are they fighting about? The very least, this is going to make that type of conversation impossible. It's going to make it much, much harder for people to turn away from this. If you add in the other layer that it's a Democratic president in office, Joe Biden, the guy who ran against this fascist bully, supposedly, um, and his administration that's supposedly progressive, supposedly the most progressive administration since FDR, not that that's a high bar to clear, um, is explicitly scolding anyone calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, despite the fact that civilians are being are the ones being targeted and being killed, and that the Israeli military is using explicitly genocidal language in reference to Palestinians, going as far to claim that there are no innocent Palestinians. 
A CNN reporter uh, retracted the lies she repeated on air about Hamas beheading babies, the same lies that Joe Biden repeated in an address to the entire country, even claiming he saw photo evidence which did not and does not exist. Um, I, I don't know whether that's because he's like 86 and doesn't know what's happening or something much more malicious than that. Um, I think this is going to be one of the most infamous and destructive lies ever told. And the damage that this false information has already caused, the lives it's taken, can never be undone. No matter what small percentage of people actually read the retraction of this. You know, how many people still believe this is true or want or choose to believe that this is true because they think that it justifies in their head the... uh, immense and horrific response that the attack was met by truly that's something that should end a journalistic career immediately like i'm careful with what i say on on this podcast i took one i took one semester of journalism courses and the major networks have been ignoring every rule let alone every ethical responsibility that comes with broadcasting what's that's nothing new what's perceived as the truth to like millions and millions of people i mean you can go back to basically every single election in our lifetime if you want you know and i'm sure before that but uh if you want to see examples of broadcast media and the main media outlets of this country just completely disregarding journalistic integrity i mean that's again that's nothing new (laughs) but with this everything does certainly get complicated with the fact that again uh, you know the report that came out after this was that israel says that it was uh, a hamas rocket that fired short and then fell on the hospital or something which was of course absurd hospital in gaza says idf or something which is just like it's that that shouldn't be a report no. It should be hospital hit, IDF claims it wasn't them or something, if that's how you want to go about it. You want to even mention that. But it's just like like likely The headline should not. be, <laughs> Israeli bomb hits Gaza hospital, military denies responsibility. That, that's, that that's would be better. abject reporting there on what, what happened. Thank you, journalism major. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, truly. This has been an intense couple of weeks. And I, so actually when... The last time I went in to substitute teach, again, I substitute teach at a high school. Um, the day that I was there, I only worked one day in the last couple of weeks, but the um, the day I was there was the supposed, quote-unquote, day of jihad or day of rage or whatever you want to call it. That was supposed to be in New York of people or all over the country, all over the world, I guess, of Palestinians and Muslims attacking Jews just to prove a point or something, and not much really came of that. Um, Nothing came of that except for it, the well, people being scared of a six-year-old boy in Chicago who was yeah. killed by his landlord who bought into right-wing talk radio's propaganda about this supposed international day of jihad there you go. and in turn stabbed a boy that he <laughs> once built a treehouse for 26 times. That's the kind of violence that's caused by the hate that is caused by the rhetoric that yeah. is being spewed constantly, not only about this topic, but about everything from those specific sources. Yeah. So what I was going to say, what, the day that I was in the high school, like these are, again, they're, they're very smart high school kids. I think um, that day I mostly had 10th graders and 11th graders and almost in every single class, 
they were talking about you know this whole conflict and and you know what it means for them not not that they were focused on themselves there was a lot of discussion about what was going on i heard one girl give another a very uh, surprisingly good explanation of the situation um now it's pretty impressed but um they were kind of they asked me like what what do i think about the whole thing and uh, like what what does it mean to be here and all these things i was like listen you guys have learned in history classes about genocide and the first thing that you teach the first thing that you learn is that step one is the dehumanization step two through the next few steps are villainization and and eventually extermination and so being in the city if you are afraid of an idea that something is going to happen i was like i'm i'm jewish i'm not gonna be you know walking on eggshells around i'm not concerned definitely i i think of myself as at least half jewish i'm ethnically half jewish um and it's on my dad's side so all the jews who are listening i'm sorry but (laughs) no one if you don't know to be quote unquote Jewish your mother has to be Jewish. Oh, I didn't um, know that. that. So that went right over my head. Yeah. Um so uh yeah, my my dad is Jewish. But um I have a lot of Jewish family. We are you know, no one has been attacked. So it's I, I was not concerned walking around in the city that day and I told them as much I, I wasn't gonna be worried. They seemed to understand that. And it's just and the thing that I wanted to get across is that this fear that you know they're feeling here is you know nothing compared to a very very large segment of a population you know thousands and thousands of miles away who are being targeted by people who are extremely powerful and there's nothing that they can really do about it and living here the least of your concerns should be what what is going you know a lot of these were jewish students and i was like you guys learned about the holocaust this is not like that necessarily and it's definitely not here but it's just it, it was emotional because also i was explaining like that you know the fact that you have to consider hiding the fact that you are jewish right now is enough to cause concern and that's very fair and that's unnerving and i get that but at the same time being here in you know this country that's not actively trying to kill you that should be enough to remind you things are you know okay and it's okay to be nervous and it's okay to be a little freaked out but it's it's better to have perspective and remember where you are and what what is happening in other places when somebody teaches you about the holocaust with a collective understanding that we can never let this happen again. You assume that those people are some sort of moral authority on genocide, or at the very least would be able to recognize when it's happening. And those same people staying silent or actively supporting the genocide in Gaza, I I think is a lot to deal with because it calls into question, again, the sources of all of your information. Like, I think we, we've we've said before on this podcast that American public education is essentially forfeit. Uh, the only piece of exceptionalist propaganda that, that I still choose to believe is that the most American thing you can do is kill a, a Nazi. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't get the sense that that is the case any longer. And that, that makes me very sad. You know, a couple of weeks after seeing an actual SS member be applauded by canadian parliament like i know that's not the americans but i mean it definitely feels like uh public opinion is at least becoming um becoming soft on nazi apologia um i don't know about public opinion but there are definitely portions of you know the political spectrum that are sure that day that was when the uh, the photo of somebody at a rally 
supporting Palestine held up a, a photo of a, the Nazi logo or something, which obviously there's there. I don't think there was any context. I never looked into it more than that, but it's it's very easy to then say, look, they're you know anti-Jew or whatever, and they're acting like Nazis. I mean, look, what what could have been happening there is them saying they're comparing Israel to the Nazis, which is possible. There's a lot of things that that could have meant. And either way, like it, it's it's right to always you know detest the swastika on anyone who who displays it it's, or more likely it, it was a plant to paint the palestinian rally in a that's bad that's true too and that's what i was going to get at it's everything is just so muddled right now there there's no way to just see one thing with no context and just come to a conclusion about what is going on or what it means what it represents it cannot represent a whole people especially a whole people who are thousands of miles away from that specific incident and it's just all very confusing and you have to be careful about where you're getting your news from regarding this did you see quentin tarantino posing with the idf fighters no when was that the other day why he lives partially in in israel now of course uh, he does he's just a stupid asshole that that's why He's a weird guy. Yeah, he's he's weird, man. <laughs> I mean, note. like the fucking director of Inglorious Bastards, a revisionist World War II movie in Dude. which Hitler and Goebbels and the Nazis get massacred in a burning theater, posing with fighter pilots as they bomb a trapped population into oblivion. Like Luke Skywalker posted in support <laughs> of Israel. Well, that one tracks. Does it? Yeah. I don't think it does. Mark <laughs> Hamill know. has been very like you know Mark, yeah, dude, progressive in the past. Mark Hamill is the exact political type to stand with Ukraine. He, and he's like the average American voter. He's just the <laughs> he's the average rich liberal. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that that is the reality, but I don't know. Think about all the like Iraq movies now that that. Era. conflict is supposedly in the past <laughs> yeah. um that are all about how sad our troops were about what's perceived as a necessary evil both by them and usually by the director not to mention the depiction of muslims in american media like we all watched the john boys video about 24 the way anybody with brown skin was portrayed as a terrorist that's that, a great video that unfortunately that was more about just like bush era violence in media which was really really interesting that unfortunately tapped into a very loud and vocal part of the american mind following 9-11 like i i didn't exactly seek out movies that weren't part of the mainstream when i was a kid so it, it was probably years before i saw a muslim character in a show <laughs> or, or a movie who wasn't trying to set off a bomb like, the amount of military propaganda on TV when we were growing up really was insane in retrospect. And, like, I still can't be sure that that didn't have a major effect on me. I mean, yeah, like, I specifically do remember being, like, a little kid and absolutely having, like, inclinations towards Islamophobic ideals or thoughts or whatever. Um, and, you know, upon learning more about how propaganda works and what it means to be living in this country, especially growing up around the city... And, you know, being a little kid in post 9-11 New York, that was, there was a lot of work to do that was undoing what was being taught or propagated by the powers that be. Um, and, you know, I was extremely little, like when 9-11, we were three. So, I mean, that was in 2001. Um, 
and you know that hit close to home but there's still it's just there was like this idea at the time that like oh well we're we don't get propagandized here like when when i was in like middle school or or even early high school i remember thinking stuff like that well it's like there's no propaganda here and then taking like you know another like one social studies class about like modern america and then being like oh oh wait a minute like <laughs> you know there's a lot that you have to consider about living in an empire and what that means and a possibly dying one at that and uh i don't even want to say possibly <laughs> like living in a dying empire and a plutocratic empire <laughs> and what it means for the people with money and how where their money is coming from and you know what the military is doing and who is paying them to do these things and you know who where they get all of that kind of stuff and it's just all very gross and, and interconnected in a disgusting way that you know you have to learn about in order to fully appreciate it and understand what it means for you living in the country and what your role should be and where you should be placing your support as somebody who is not part of the ruling class <laughs> you know i i have not posted a th single thing about any of this on social media just because i find that to be extremely disingenuous um any kind of posting i i just when it comes to like political things, I've just completely wiped from my own desires, I guess. I don't know. I like, think that's reasonable. It's it's just I I find it to be the word performative now feels even performative to accuse something of being performative. Does that make sense? I, I don't think anything comes of it unless like if you have any kind of authority or power or influence or sway on public opinion then sure but just like i i don't know i just i find it sickening like in any way when people like think that they you know i posted my story i've done my good deed for the day or something i don't know it that just, makes me it, a good person yeah yeah we'll be right back smug greedy well-fed white people have invented a language to conceal their sins it's as simple as that the cia doesn't kill anybody anymore they neutralize people <laughs> Or they depopulate the area. The government doesn't lie and engages in disinformation. The Pentagon actually measures nuclear radiation in something they call sunshine units. Israeli murderers are called commandos. Arab commandos are called terrorists. Contra killers are called freedom fighters. Well, if crime fighters fight crime and firefighters fight fire, what do freedom fighters fight? We're back on Mudville. Just in the time since we started recording, U.S. politicians have started to issue cowardly statements on the Israeli bombing of a hospital in Gaza, referring to the attack as an explosion or a blast. This isn't right-wingers I'm talking about either. Those are straight from the statements from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, neither of which directly condemn this as a war crime. This is nothing new. The response from every level is, has been horrific. New York's mayor, Eric Adams, has been on an Israel parade all year. Governor Kathy Hochul was asked ab about Palestinians afraid for their families, and her only response was they should condemn Hamas. Uh, and that's been the most revealing part of this past week from an american standpoint the uh inability or unwillingness to call a spade a spade and condemn the actions of a nation that that is using outright genocidal language and explicitly asserting intent to wipe out an entire population this is the most violent sadistic military campaign in our adult lifetimes 
and you'll see brave Palestinian journalists saying, despite the carnage of past atrocities committed in Gaza or other times Israel bombed a hospital, they've never seen anything like this. And honestly, just in the past couple months, I've read a ton about Iraq and the mechanics of how that invasion was sparked and who profited from what. And obviously now in every political debate you see politicians regretting their support for Iraq or in some sociopathic cases defending it. But it's just so obvious that there's no commitment to preventing the next Iraq, which is ominous in itself given the decades of fear over the next Vietnam just for it to happen again. Like truly there are no heroes left it feels like. No leaders willing to take a stand for humanity. Next to, like, Jeremy Corbyn, who got thrown out of his own party's leadership. Bernie Sanders also has been very vocal. The only relatively decent U.S. politicians got shanked by their own party, too. I mean, everything is just so far removed from what would be needed to start any sort of meaningful change. The people in power are committed to profiting off of prolonging conflict and violence and that is the result of 50 years of turning the government into a corporation and installing the same economic mindset into every politician across party lines one that they believed they perfected before the turn of the century and they thought they could profit off of forever but it turns out war is even more profitable when you look at the end of world war ii which the biggest conflict in human history and obviously ended with the horrific actions of the united states government in japan they elected dwight eisenhower to be president and on his way out he he warned against the military industrial complex and that was a man who had seen firsthand and and dealt with the worst of what war brings you know in World War II, a horrific, horrific fighting that was not necessarily spurred on by um, private or moneyed interests. And it was probably the last <laughs> war that America was involved in that you can say that about. It was just blatantly disregarded. His warning, that is. And it's just every conflict since that the U.S. has gotten involved in has been, there are, there are hints of or blatant examples of us being there for corporation interests or, you know, some kind of political interest that's aside from, I don't know, anything near liberation or support for uh, revolutionaries or, you know, fighting for freedom or something like that. Basically fighting fascism. That's not a thing that we support really anymore. Our JFK episode is going to be sick. (laughs) The other day, Bryce and I were talking and she was really upset about everything that was going on in Gaza and, you know, it was after, um, and I found that I was really numb to <laughs> what was going on and not, not because it's, you know, it, it doesn't affect me. It's just that it, 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 it's easier to, I guess, be numb with all the information that you have and everything that you know about what this country does and stands for or doesn't stand for and the ways that the politicians make their money and, you know, what drives their, their stances. And, it's difficult to see a lane where I don't feel so numb and want to fight because I don't see an end game that has any positive outcome in this country. It doesn't. It's such a, a steep hill to fight on, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. It's a logical response to bearing witness, quote-unquote, to 
an unbearable amount of death that you can't prevent or avoid that your tax dollars is, are actively funding and that there is no way to vote out of that yeah. s- situation. Um, that is an incredibly bleak place to be in and it can certainly lead to despair. I think it's important to reject that as tough as it might be. If there's any way out of this system, it is not by um, electing these moderate corporate Democrats. If this has proven anything to me, it is that careerist politicians are less than useless in a time of actual crisis. But, you know, for all of the rightful negativity that we've brought in on this this episode um it is certainly worth noting how touched i've been by the number of people rushing in to volunteer willing to lose their lives for a stranger um in many cases they have israeli snipers have not discriminated in who they kill and many folks have been shot bringing humanitarian aid into palestine despite the horrific mask off moment from every politician in this this country i think it's important and necessary um in order to continue moving forward um to also look at what good there is in humanity and to try and and to try to collectivize that and use it for um social progress and yeah and yeah yeah this is going to be a bit of a short episode today i i think that's okay um we'll be back we'll later be in the week with, with more of our yeah. regular topics um but we we wanted to get all of this off of our chest today uh this might be the last thing we say about this or it it might not you know had had we made that promise yesterday we would have certainly broken it and you know i i only can fear for the worst in the days to come and what's going to continue happening here to wrap this up um thank you so much if you stuck with us through this episode um you know it can be bleak out there and if we're usually your uh your source for <laughs> relief from that. I'm very sorry that we betrayed you. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll be back to being the same old us next, you know, next episode. But yes, I mean, we have a, a platform, however small or, you know, insignificant it may be. It still feels like a duty to at least do something. I, and that's, again, I said earlier, it's, it's not like it's going to change much if anything, but it just feels like the right thing to do and, to wrap this up, I am going to put a few links in the description of this episode to give to um, humanitarian aid in Gaza. Um, that's all I really have to say to, to close this off. Um, that's really all that, that we can do as American citizens watching from afar from our privileged positions. Um, thank you very much, and we'll see you later. Yep. See you next week. And every revolution is sponsored by the state There's no bravery in bayonets in tearing down the gates If you see me with a rifle, don't ask me what it's for I've fight my father's war
Mama Martin Luther King. 